Here are a couple of questions. How, or sorry, why did Jesus come? And how did Jesus come? So why did Jesus come in the flesh to his people, to the world? And how did he come? In what way? Then what reason did Jesus himself give to these questions himself specifically? Well, there's a phrase in the Gospels he uses to answer this, and it starts with, the Son of Man came. And the Son of Man is the, one of the favorite ways Jesus has of talking about himself, how he refers to himself in the Gospels. And on one occasion he said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. On another occasion, he said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So these first two examples tell us why Jesus came. The third example tells us how he came. He said, the Son of Man came, and maybe you can fill it in, eating and drinking. This is largely how Jesus came to seek and save the lost. This is largely how he came to serve people. This is largely how he did ministry. He did ministry largely around the table with food and drink. And these meals were special meals where the invitation list was very interesting. <laughs> and beautiful, miraculous things happened. People were forgiven given good news. They were dignified. All kinds of surprising things happened in these meals. And he did this so much with people, he got a reputation for being a drunkard and a glutton. He said, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and then you say, look, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children, he says in response. But I don't think Jesus was a glutton or a drunk. That would probably work with our theology. But I think he knew how to feast with people and give them good news and true joy. Sometimes that can be mistaken for drunkenness. But considering the fact that Jesus did so much of his ministry, how much he ate with people, how he ate with people, and who he ate with people. And for him to say, this is wisdom, that's something to pay attention to, to heed, to learn from, imitate. Really, this is the, the wisdom of hospitality that Jesus demonstrated, promoted, talked about, called us to. Last week we started a new series on hospitality, and not just hospitality in general, but Christian hospitality that is inspired by and directed by Jesus, that welcomes one another as Christ has welcomed us to the glory of God. So we looked at last week. And we looked at what was distinctive about this way of welcome in Christ, namely its focus on the weak, those in need, the ignored, the undervalued, the despised, those on the bottom of the list. 
In their best moments, Christians have been known for welcoming these kinds of people in the name of Christ. You can see this distinction just in these sayings of Jesus, right? I, I just mentioned Jesus came for not the found, but the lost. He welcomed an eight, eight with not those who had it all together, the sinners, the tax collectors, the questionable people that you probably shouldn't be associating with. This week we're going to look at more of how this practice of hospitality is vitally connected to the table, to eating and drinking with people, to sharing a meal with somebody. So with that, can we go to the next slide if somebody is on the slides? Perfect. <laughs> this is Christine Pohl's book I mentioned last week. It's a little fuzzy, but this is the actually an old mosaic from the fifth century depicting Moses with the angelic beings that we read about, heard about in our Old Testament passage. Mostly I was pointing out this book. So this book is written by Christine Pohl, a scholar and a theologian who really specializes in Christian hospitality from the biblical times through history to the present day. And I mentioned last week, a lot of the sermons are going to have connections to chapters in this book. So last week had connections to chapter one. This week is going to have connections to chapter two and so on. In chapter two, she says this. A shared meal is the activity most closely tied to the reality of God's kingdom. Just as it is the most basic expression of hospitality. So at the center of the kingdom, at the center of the practice of hospitality, is a table, a shared meal. I think you'll find that as you, as you read the Bible. If you read the Bible and you don't get hungry, you're not reading the Bible. <laughs> when the kingdom of God, when God comes to the earth and meets people, typically meals are involved. We saw that with Abraham and these angelic beings who represent God in some way. We see this with God meeting Moses and Aaron on the mountain and these 70 elders. And it says they beheld this vision of God, the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire, stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And it says they beheld God and ate and drank. They had a meal, a holy meal in God's presence. That's what you do with God when you meet him. That's what God wants you to do. You can think of the laws of Moses. So much of the laws of Moses were about prescribing these feasts. These were feasts to celebrate God's interaction, his movement into the world on behalf of the Israelites. And they were to remember these and celebrate these with a feast feasting with each other in God's presence. That's the appropriate thing to do. You can think of Jesus who expressed the coming of the kingdom in his very life. And how much of what he did was eating and drinking with people. So, If he wasn't at a meal, he was typically coming from one or going to one. And of course, you can think of the main act of liturgy he left us with, the table, <laughs> we're to practice and remember him by. 
can think of the description of the kingdom in our gospel passage, in the New Testament passage on Revelation. What's the kingdom like? What's it going to be like? It's like a banquet, being invited to a banquet. What's it going to be like? It's going to be like a marriage supper. It's the, the most central image we get in the Bible about the kingdom. At the center of the kingdom, at the center of the practice of hospitality, which goes together, is a table, a shared meal. A picture that symbolizes much of this, if we want to go to the next slide, is the icon, the Trinity. And I shared this icon several months ago on Trinity Sunday. And this is Andre Rublev's famous icon, the Trinity, otherwise called the hospitality of Abraham. And this, this version actually is a new version by a living iconographer, Julia Stankova from Bulgaria. But the setting here, again, is our Old Testament passage. When Abraham offers a meal, hospitality to these three angelic beings. But what's being symbolized here is the, the life and hospitality of God. So on the left you have the Father who is represented, in the middle is the Son, and on the right is the Holy Spirit. And there's so much in this icon we could talk about, but we're going to see this in, in weeks to come. This will be how we start our service. This image captures so much of the hospitality of God and what we're to imitate in being his followers. What you'll notice, though, is that there's a meal they're sharing. It might be hard to see, but in the center of the table, the meal is the Eucharist, Holy Communion. And at the front of the table is an empty seat. You are invited to the table to come and feast with God. When I've practiced hospitality through the years, many times this image is in my mind. I'm thinking about how has God welcomed me as I want to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed me. This image is in my mind and holds a lot of the meaning of what is in the Gospels. I've also come to learn that a shared meal can mean a lot more than I, I thought it would. So a couple days ago I met with Mehran for coffee. So if you know or have had the pleasure of meeting Mehran, uh, you know, he's very fun to be with and talk with. Uh, he's doing his master's, he's shaking his head over there, but uh, he's a little embarrassed. But he, uh, he's doing his master's at Boston College. He has a powerful testimony you should ask him about. But he's also from Iran. And so he was sharing with me the significance of meals in Iran, which of course is much closer to the meaning than we have in the West. The meanings for meals in the Middle East share a lot more with what meals were like when Jesus was eating and drinking in the Holy Land. And he said there's this phrase in Iran called Sultan bread. And it represents both the food that is offered, the shared meal, but also the meaning of this meal. It's not just eating with each other. When you share a meal with somebody, when you invite somebody over, this is an invitation to friendship. And out of this meal should an allegiance to one another. There's a faithfulness you're supposed to be expressing to one another after you share this kind of meal. So much so that, say, months later, say the guest to this meal 
wrongs in some way the host. The host can say to them, how can you dishonor my salt and bread? The meaning of that meal, this meaning of friendship, this allegiance we now have, how can you dishonor that? Meals had much more significance in the Middle East and in the ancient Near East. And, and meals in, the, in this time and in still in the East are meant to be reciprocated. So if you have somebody over for, for a meal like this to share your salt and bread, well, it's understood that guest at some time in the future must have you as a guest as well in their home and share their meal with you, their salt and bread. And this is really, if you, if you want to go bigger into the, how this works with the gospel in this time period, John Barclay, Paul and the Gospel, is a very good book in light of all this on this theme. Also, Mehran was, was telling me about how when you invite some over, they need to be, in a sense, worthy of the meal. You don't invite somebody with questionable character over to your meal. You invite somebody whose life is worthy of the meaning of this meal. And one more thing, in the ancient Near East, and as, as well in other parts of the world, you don't typically invite someone who's poor or outside your social class or ethnicity or someone with disabilities. That's not normal. That's not the way it's typically done. So when Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, in our gospel reading, he also says, invite those who can't pay you back. And when you invite people, invite the poor, the lame, the blind. And you can think of all the other people he ate with and paid attention to at meals. He is breaking all kinds of social norms. As you can see with the reaction of the Pharisees. So Jesus extends this meal of friendship that's so loaded with meaning and he extends it across the social divides of his time. So, a Jesus meal, it gives salt and bread to those who don't deserve it. A Jesus meal gives value to those who are undervalued. A Jesus meal pays special attention to those who are left out, to the needy, to the sick, to the despised. That is new. That is a new way of doing things in the world that Jesus introduced into the tradition of hospitality. That's the, the Christian distinction that we have seen in history when Christians are at their best. I remember being on the receiving end of, of these kinds of meals when I was doing my master's in Vancouver, Canada. I was going to seminary and I was away from home, family, friends, from everything that I was familiar with. And I started attending this little church. And there, at this little church, there was a lady called Charlotte. And she was probably mid, late 70s. And she didn't have much. But what she did have, she spent, whenever she had an extra money, on taking out a bunch of people to lunch after church. But it wasn't just anybody she would go and gather. She would go to people like myself who were away from home, who had no friends or family around at that time. She would go to those, who's the person who just doesn't seem to be fitting in here? I'm, I'm gonna go to that person. Those who just didn't have enough money to eat lunch, she would grab that kind of person. 
someone who's just having a hard time. And she would somehow find all of us and gather us and then take us out to lunch. And here's some of the most beautiful lunches I've been part of. There's so much joy um, and delight. And as, as strangers became guests and then guests became friends with one another. At the lead of this lady in her 70s who had very little, but she got with the Jesus meals for about. She had eyes for those people that Jesus would have his eyes for. Now Jesus says, don't invite, this is the hard part of the saying, don't invite, I've struggled with this, your friends or your family or rich neighbors who can pay you back. But invite those who can't pay you back, he says. And I don't know if I get this right, but this is, my, this is how I've come to terms with this. I don't think Jesus meant this in some absolute sense. To follow Jesus, of course, is to take care of those uh, in your charge, those in your family. And part of that, of course, means feeding them, eating with them. Jesus himself planned meals and ate with his friends over time. So, yeah, the people you eat with eventually become your friends. So I don't think Jesus says, you know, once they become your friends, all right, that's it. No more eating with them. I'm moving on to the next person. Uh, no, he gave, us, he gave us a holy meal to eat with our friends in Christ on a regular basis. So I don't think he meant that. What I think Jesus meant is always be on the lookout for those who are left out. Have those kind of eyes always at work, wherever you are. And when you're having a meal, who's going to be on your guest list? Think about that. People here at Church of the Cross get this. There is a practice of this. In our best moments, we have done this at Church of the Cross. Even now, I'm just seeing glimpses of this all over the place. Someone has come to me recently for thinking about how to care for foster children and to gathering a group around how can we care for, tend to foster children in Massachusetts. I think about this in neighborhood group. Neighborhood group leaders get this Jesus meal way when they're, they invite new people to their neighborhood groups, new people to their neighborhood. Somebody talked to me about how they're inviting their neighbors, their, their actual neighbors who aren't Christians, to their neighborhood group. That's getting the Jesus way. There's one, one leader who is looking at how to work with Cataluma as a neighborhood group. And so, if you don't know, Cataluma is the ministry that Gary, Gary Moorhead, I don't know if you want to raise your hand, Gary, you might as well. <laughs> Cataluma is a ministry to refugees in, in Massachusetts, in, in Boston, greater Boston, Massachusetts. And of course, this is a very, this is always a relevant mystery, mis mystery. Sometimes it is a mystery, right, Gary? <laughs> but it's a ministry to refugees. This is the exact kind of people Jesus would have his eyes for. And actually, we're gonna, you're going to be receiving an email soon on, on different ways we can help Gary reach out and care for the refugees, hundreds of refugees that are coming to Boston. But people here at Church of the Cross get this way of Christ, this way of welcome this Jesus meal hospitality. But it's, it's good to remember to, to give ourselves to this 
to these kinds of things, to welcome the kinds of people Jesus wants us to welcome in his way requires us to be a certain kind of people. First of all, it, it requires a community. You simply can't just do this on your own. It takes a community of people to do this kind of thing, to work together. It takes a certain kind of community that has certain loving commitments towards not just those who are welcoming, but to each other, to the welcoming community. This is what I was glad to hear. One of the neighborhood groups actually are forming a covenant that does just that, makes explicit the loving commitments you're going to have with each other. We're working on this in our parish council. What explicit loving commitments can we make to each other over time? We need to do that kind of thing, to be a hospitable community to each other, to whoever we welcome in. So how, how are we going to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us? That doesn't just happen. That takes some careful thought, loving commitments. To know how to do that in our own lives, in the friendships we have, how can we do that in our neighborhood groups, and as a church as a whole. And that's why we're giving months to this, this fall, to do that very thing in our gatherings here and in our, our neighborhood groups. So just back, back briefly to our gospel passage in Luke this passage, along with the passage in Luke about the sheep and the goats, where Jesus says, whatever you do to me, to the, or sorry, whatever you do to the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you do to me. These two passages are the most influential passages when it comes to the practice of Christian hospitality, the, the hospitality tradition in Christianity. These are the two most formative passages in that tradition. So they, more than any other passage in Scripture, have helped to contribute to this way of welcome in Christ. These Jesus meals that Jesus lived and talked about and taught us. This, that played out into this Christian tradition of seeking out especially, paying attention to the least, the last, and the lost. So we would do well to heed this passage to come back to it, to memorize it, to let it form us, to let it give us new eyes. So the next time we make a guest list, let's think about putting those on the top who are typically on the bottom. Let's pray. Yes, Father, first just forgive us for for having people over, for doing hospitable acts only to those who would do good to us. Just to those who would make us stronger, pay us back in some way. But give us eyes, the eyes of Jesus, for those who are left out. Help us first just to see how you have done that to us, to each of us. That we are of the least, the last, and the lost help us to think of how to do that for others, those around us who are on the bottom of the list. Help us in Jesus. Amen.